You're listening to The Loyalty Minute, the show that helps you build better customer loyalty and more valuable user engagement with your host, Rob Gallo. Welcome, loyal listeners, to another episode of The Loyalty Minute. I'm your host, Rob Gallo, and today I'm super eager and excited to chat with Ajay Rowe. Ajay has been an entrepreneur for many years, 35 years, in fact, as an executive and an advisor delivering over 100 CRM loyalty and data-driven marketing programs across some 65 countries globally. He's now working with several startups, including Loyalty Caravan, Litmus World, Loyally, and Pixel. Welcome to the show, Ajay, and thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. So for those who don't know anything about you or your background, if you could add a little bit of color to what I just announced, that'd be great. So um, I got into loyalty about 35 years ago, uh, just I think four years after American Airlines redefined loyalty into what we now understand as a card program. And you need to remember that this is a time before fax machines. Um, So we had telex machines and they were phasing them out and replacing them with fax machines. And um, they gave me a PC, not a PC XT. It didn't have a hard drive. It was just a PC. And they said, since you're the only guy in marketing who knows how to write code, uh, will you go and start a loyalty program? And nobody knew what a loyalty program was. So we kind of figured it out, right? And as I said, I mean, there's no internet. We couldn't just Google saying, hey, you know, tell us what American does. I mean, we vaguely knew there was this program somewhere in the U.S. And it was supposed to be a, something which just completely redefined marketing. And we kind of figured it out from base principles, which is, which is fun. And uh, so I, I actually um, started by doing data entry uh, into databases, which I wrote. Uh, there, were no, uh, there were no database programs. I mean, DBase 2 came about a year later. I came to India a year later, or came to the company I worked a year later. So right. the initial database was actually programmed by myself, right? And so I went from programming databases to entering data. Uh, so I could type very fast indeed. And uh, all those telex operators, used to, I don't know if you remember the old telex machines, used to type in real time and somebody at the other end would read what you typed and then they'd type back in real time. So they're very fast and very accurate typists. And yeah. since we didn't need them anymore with faxes coming down the pike, um, they became my core team. And in fact, they're still the core team in that company. I mean, so it's you know, 35 years later, but they're, they're still uh, you know, running the show over there, which is kind of cool. Um, and we, we launched the first loyalty program, I think, outside of the U.S. Uh, that I know of. Um, and, uh, and, and I've been doing nothing but that since. Uh, so Great. I set up one yeah. company and went broke it. And then I set up another company. I made a little bit of money out of it. And I did another one. And we did another one. And we did, so, you know, doing work all over the world in loyalty. And so I kind of grew. And um, now um, that's, that's basically all I've done, really. I mean, the last 35 years, just variations of the theme of, CRM and loyalty. So 35 years ago, what was I up to? Uh, I was probably in my early 20s. I remember the name Telex. I got to be honest with you. I'd never used ones, but I understand the concept of it. But that's definitely before my time. I remember punch cards. To me, in the loyalty space, you know, you'd go to a, a place and you get a punch card, literal punch card, and they would punch out. Once you get 10 of them, then you get the 11th one free. That to me was loyalty. <laughs> now it's obviously grown exponentially since then. And in fact, you mentioned American Airlines, and you think about what's happening in the U.S. now with the airlines and the number of points that they have in their systems are sometimes more than the company's value based on the the revenue that they generate from the points. It's phenomenal. Right? The last I read, United, 
right? Yeah, United, they, they leveraged, I think, billions of dollars from their loyalty program to well, fund. What I saw was that the value of the airline is $7 billion, and the value of the loyalty program, premium miles, was $19 billion. Yeah. Right. And uh, so what, you, what you're talking about is uh, the program is worth two and a half times the airline. Right. It's so incredible. And uh, I think it was, if I remember the number right, I think it's about 80%. Uh, no, I lie. I think it's about 88% of their revenue comes from the loyalty program. And 12% yeah. comes from actually flying planes or something like that. It's right? crazy. Uh, it's, it's, well, I just booked a flight using my points. It was, um, I think it was uh, uh, to Las Vegas. So we're going out to Las Vegas. I qualify for some poker tournament and I use points. And I'm thinking, this is great. Even though I paid originally for airline tickets in the past and then accumulated points, but they also have other programs. I don't know if you're familiar with these where, you know, I'm sure you are, where you could shop online and then earn more miles. Yeah. Right. In fact, through the shopping online through COVID uh, is the reason why the airlines are still alive and well. It's because yeah. all you're spending on Amazon, right? Translated into airline miles on your credit card. And uh, that's really what kept the airlines alive. I mean, which is why those ridiculous numbers of, you know, you're really a loyalty program company, which happens to have an air, you know, a few planes and, you know, a couple of pilots and maybe an airport or two attached. <laughs> yeah. It's real. <laughs> but not even just on the credit card side, but if you look at, let's say, uh, there's a company called Cartera Commerce that has the, um, the airlines industry locked up with the online shopping mall that's branded for Delta and United and, and Southwest and American. So if you're on American Airlines website, you could then go shopping, you click a button and you'd take into a mall that you could shop at Walmart, Kmart, Home Depot, buy everyday goods and earn airline miles for American marriage. And uh, I guess, you know, the guys who started this, if I remember right, were Loy Logic on Switzerland, weren't they? And then I think uh, the guys in the U.S. picked it up and, you know, sort of just like with everything else in the U.S. just exploded and it became so big. Yeah. Like it was really. Uh, and they, they just sold to uh, to Rakuten. So Rakuten right. now owns them, the, the company that owns Ebates cool. that turned it into cool. Rakuten. So now they have the direct to consumer model and now they just have the B2B model for other other uh, entities. In fact, I think they have Barclays Bank. They have Glamour, the. You know, so anyone with a loyalty program could leverage the technology that these guys do. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, anyway, Jay, I, I usually start the questions off with the first question for our guest is, how does Ajay Rowe think about loyalty from a consumer standpoint? And if you could if you could form it in the form of a, a story that people would resonate, that, that would you know kind of resonate with people, that'd be great. So let, let me. Um... Let's take it step by step, right? Um, I think loyalty starts with a preference, right? And the preference is typically some combination of rational and emotional, right? I, I like this brand for some emotional reason, and I prefer this brand for some rational reason. And sometimes it can be a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that, but there's got to be some reason why I prefer this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you move from preference to uh, saying, well, I kind of like this to I'm going to have this brand as far as I can get it, right? Now, I, I think Coke has got a terrific, uh, or used to have a terrific definition of loyalty, which is how far away from a cold Pepsi would you walk on a hot day to get a Coke? Right? <laughs> I love that. You know, it's it's blazing hot, right? Um, you know, it's I, I don't know how to do this in Fahrenheit, but I'll do it in centigrade. So it's 40 in the shade, 40 degrees centigrade, which is what? I think 110 or 100, something like yes, that. Yes, 110-ish. 
110 years. So it's 110 in the shade, and um, you're going to go for Pepsi in your hand, and you're going to put it down, and you're going to walk for a Coke. How far would you walk, right? So if you'd walk 10 feet, that says something about loyalty. If you'd walk 100 feet, it says something else altogether, right? right? So how much of an effort would you make? I mean, what would you give up in order to get what you prefer, right? And so that's the call it the second phase. And third phase, I think, is, um, and, you know, I've been married 30 years, so I'm allowed to say these things. Uh, well, not really, but my wife's not listening, so that's all right. Um, it, it becomes a habit, right? You stop thinking about it. You stop feeling about it. You just do it, right? You just use that airline because it's become a habit. You're, you're just used to the systems. And the switching cost to you is just too high because it means relearning something, right? Yes. It means giving up a chunk of yourself because when you go by another airline, and your friend says, hey, don't you always fly, I don't know, United? And you're flying American this time. And you say, well, you know, yeah, but, you know, a part of you sort of, you know, is belittled because you're not doing what you always do, right? Yeah. So, you, you, you follow what I'm getting at? So do you get a discount this time? Is that the reason why you're doing it? And you're, no, 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 it wasn't a discount. It's just that they didn't have the hours that I wanted, right? They didn't have the timing. And, you know, the friends say, yeah, 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 we've heard that one before, right? So you, you understand what I'm saying? So when it becomes a habit, it becomes very difficult to let go of it, right? So yes. I think of my loyalty in those three phases right, which is move from a mild preference to a stronger preference to, you know, a real reason why and finally into a habit, right, where it becomes very difficult to break. And if you think about all the things that you do, I mean, you know, uh, for example, when you don't need to think anymore, you don't need to feel anymore, you don't need to process, you just do, mm -hmm. right? Those are the things you're really, really loyal to. Yeah, well, if you think about, so uh, there's a lot of, um, it's binary in, instant, in certain instances where, let's say, iPhone and Android, right? So you think of iPhone users. Now, I love Apple. I think Apple is a fantastic company, a great product. Um, you can get the customer service on the phone for a trillion-dollar company, which is amazing, and they'll walk you through setting up your iPad and all this stuff, which is phenomenal to me, right? But the iPhone, for whatever reason, I started on Android, and I've always been an Android user. As much as I love iPhones. And I think of people that I, I put myself in categories of an iPhone user compared to an Android user. And it's, again, it's, it becomes binary in certain instances where they won't even think about joining the other party. <laughs> it's almost like a political divide, right? But um, when you think about Android, I don't necessarily think about Google, which is kind of weird, even though they own it. I just think it's an Android because it's an actually a Samsung phone. So yeah. it's a little bit different in that respect. But let me ask you, and I, I've, I've never been to India, but what is the telephone market there? What is the cell phone market there? Well, it's enormous. And uh, I think we went from, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think there are something like 600 or 700 million smartphones which are internet enabled in India now. Right. So it's a massive market, right? And what would you say the difference between, is it iPhone and Android or is there? Well, in India, you know, for, for the vast bulk of people, it's Android, right? And then I was very interested to find, uh, this was a few years ago before we got the spat with China and things changed. But it wasn't actually an Android market. It was a UC browser market, right? Hmm. Uh, now, UC browser is a Chinese OS, right, on the cheap phones, which works like a poor man's Android. Right. And uh, when, when we did Let This World, when we launched Let This World five years ago, uh, so we built it for uh, BlackBerry was still kind of around. So we actually did a version for BlackBerry 
on Nokia and Microsoft, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we did a version of that. Uh, we did a version of Android, of course, and a version of Apple. And the Android version just didn't work on about 40% of the phones. And we then discovered that the, what we thought were Android phones were actually UC browser phones, right? Um, and UC browser looks a lot like Android. It behaves a lot like Android, but it isn't. Right. And uh, then India went into being called a 70% uh, UC browser market with a cheap Chinese phone, some, some crazy number. I'm not an expert on the subject, but there's some crazy number like that. And then we have this, we've got a bit of an argument going on with China now. So, you know, so I think it's fallen dramatically to being three or 4% or something like that. It's really just dropped off the cliff. So now we're mainly called it a 90% uh, Android market. And there's no, no iPhones over there? No, no, there is the remaining uh, five or ten percent. But if you go to the top end, you know the wealthy people, that's almost entirely iPhone. Yeah, you know, they, they're uh, maybe it's call it a seventy percent, sixty seventy percent iPhone market. Wow! But remember, India is a very big country, right? Lots of yeah. People. So what we're dealing with is uh, you know huge numbers. So when we talk about the top end, right? You're talking in tens of millions of people. I mean, these are not small markets, right? It's yeah. not, it's not a, you know, it's it's like the U.S. or China. I mean, it's a massive market, right? So yeah, absolutely. Interesting. I'm surprised that Apple hasn't made a bigger impact. So, what sort of brands are are you loyal to? Like, like what what sort of you know? I know you travel. Right? You'd be you'll be in Dubai in uh, a week or so, right? If I'm not mistaken. I, I was planning to be, but uh, you know, we, I've had to pass on that. I had a bit of it's a. I, I've had a bit of a health problem, so I've got something wrong with my left eye, and ah. so I've been asked not to travel and to take it a little easy for this. So, okay. so I actually well, pinged Ravindra and said, "Look, I'm really sorry, but you know, I was really looking forward to it." But uh, yeah, well, it'd be time. nice to get on a flight and go somewhere for a change. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've been very really locked in for a while, haven't we? Yeah, I know. Well, soon enough, you'll be able to. So, what sort of brands are you loyal to, right? Like, just in general. So um, I think uh, you know, uh, I'm okay. Let's let's take it geographically first, right? Uh, let's start with restaurants. So okay. um, I'm I'm a great de-risker, right? Which drives my wife crazy because she likes to experiment and I don't. Okay. Now my I, I like to go to a restaurant and order that dish from that waiter because I know it works, right? <laughs> and you know, as a de-risking strategy, what you know is that on a scale of 0 to 10, with 0 is an awful experience, and 10 is absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you go to that restaurant and have that dish, you're going to get a 9. right? So mm -hmm. why would you go somewhere else where there's an 80% probability you'll get less than 5 by ordering the wrong dish in the wrong place from the wrong person? Mm -hmm. right? So so my loyalty starts that way, right? which is de-risking. Yeah, so anything which I can de-risk and know that I'm going to have you know, a positive experience, I'm going to go for that. So using geographic loyalty as a as a starting point, and then a temporal loyalty. You know, that's that's the way I think about things. I'm, I'm very boring, unfortunately. Um, just that you know, I, I don't want to deal with stress. You know, I yeah. really don't want to deal with a bad experience. I just want to have a good experience. I know it's going to be a good experience. Sure, it means it's the hundredth time I've been to the restaurant, but that's all right. Well, in in and of itself, that is loyalty, Ajay. That if you loyalty. think about it, that loyalty. Loyalty is the resistance to change, I think. I think, like you mentioned at the top of the show, people don't like change, generally speaking. They'll, they want what they want, 
because they're accustomed to it. They know it. They see the brand, the McDonald's Golden Arches. They know it's bad for them. It's not healthy, but they know what to expect when they walk in. And that's part of, I think, what builds a brand's loyalty. So you talk about, you know, what's the brand's value? The value of a brand is getting people to have that emotional attachment to their brand, regardless of the outcome, because they've they've built it in such a way that it becomes predictable, whether it's good or bad. So it reminds me of a Seinfeld episode. Elaine goes to a, a, a restaurant and she she has a punch card and it's got ten things and she's up to number nine. And and Jerry asked her how are this how are the subs how are they? She said ah, they're not that great, but I'm one away from a free one. So she just doesn't <laughs> want to miss out. <laughs> it's just well, so I missed that one, but 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 there are lots of them, right? It's Seinfeld. You, you remember the soup guy? The the, the, the guy soup, the soup. Yeah, the soup yeah. right? I mean, I, I just keep going back to him. You know he's going to be obnoxious, but, you know, you just keep going back, right? I mean, it's... So the, the quality of the food is good enough to get you to overcome all those other things. So yeah. that means that if you think about that in the context of business, so our listeners are running small to medium-sized, maybe even enterprise types of businesses, and they think to themselves, what do I need to do to attract and retain more customers? Right. So I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago and I have to I have to look it up and see who it was. But he said it's it's not what you do. Fifty percent is what you do. The other 50 percent is how you do it. Yeah. So the what you do, I guess, in the soup Nazis case was he made the best soup. How he did it was subpar. But people overlooked that. But I don't think in today's day and age, obviously, that's a sitcom. I don't know how real that is. But in, in today's day and age, what you do is just as important, if not more, than how you do it. I mean, excuse me, the other way around, how you do it. So like I mentioned with Apple, you think about Apple, to get a trillion dollar company on the phone and then to call you by the first name and walk you through a process is amazing. I called my local hardware store, asked the guy if they had these certain light bulbs, and he wouldn't give me the time of day. And I'm thinking, you need my business. I could just go to Home Depot. I'm trying to do business locally with you. And the guy was obnoxious. So I said, all right, well, now I'm going to have to go to Home Depot. It's crazy. Anyway. You, know, the, 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 you put your finger on the rock, right? So two or three things which you said, I think. So the first thing is um, what you do, how you do it, and don't create a moment of abruption. Right? Mm -hmm. A moment of abruption is when you ask yourself, why the hell am I doing this in the first place? Right? Like if the guy's obnoxious, right? You immediately say, hey, look, here, I'm trying to give you a business, and you, and you want to be unpleasant to me. I mean, well, you know. Go and do the other thing, right? So yeah. I think the, 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 the key is to avoid moments of abruption. Don't allow the person to rethink it, right? Just consistently keep doing what's important, right? Now, on the subject of uh, what, you, we'll come back to what you do in a minute, right? But let's talk about how you do it. I think most human beings, and you know, when we launched Lipless World, we were told, oh, there's India, you know, um, you don't want to do this because all people are going to do is they're going to, you know, be unpleasant. They're going to be pitching. I mean, you're not going to get any anything other than negativity. Uh, we do 35 million conversations a month, as I was telling you, and six out of seven are positive, right? Where people are very fair and they say, "Look, so and so did a great job, and I'm really thankful." Right? Most people, I think, are fair. Yes, there are some people who get their rocks off by being unpleasant and you know being mean to people who are serving them, but most people are decent human beings for respectful and thankful for some like you are with Apple. I mean, you mentioned Apple 
two or three times, and you mentioned that you're a trillion dollar company. I mean, it's obviously something which you're, you're saying, hey, that's a good thing you guys are doing. You're recognizing that, mm-hmm. right? And you're recognizing it publicly on your show, which is kind of cool, isn't it? Now, there's so many people listening to the show thinking, yeah, you know, I, I got to rethink that Apple thing, right? I mean, you know, you, you didn't make that point, right? Now, yeah. So that's one of the things that you want to do, which is you want to demonstrate you care, right? And a genuine demonstration of the fact that you actually care about the person's business is, I think, one of the critical things is how you do it. You know, you may be incompetent, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that being consistently incompetent is a good thing, but I think you could be incompetent. People will forgive you, right? As long as they believe that you're trying and you're doing the best you can, right? Everybody yeah. understands, you know, the world's not a perfect place. Things do to go wrong. And most people can be, I mean, there will be the odd terrorist who wants to be unpleasant, you know, but I mean, most people are just, you know, yeah, we get it. I mean, you're going through a bad day. You know, the serving staff in the restaurant, you know, she drops a little soup on your lap. I mean, she's going through a bad day. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, there's no point in screaming at her, right? I mean, she didn't do it intentionally. I mean, so most people would say, well, that's all right, right? Yeah. And and you get over there. It doesn't mean you're never going to go to the restaurant again. Now, if I asked you a question and said, hey, what would stop you going to the restaurant again? And I gave you a list of options. And one of them was hot soup on your lap. You'd probably take that one and say, I'd never go back again because of that, right? So when you look at it rationally, there's a reason why not to go. But when you look at it emotionally, when she's saying, I'm so sorry, sir, you know, I really didn't mean to do that. You say, you know, she's having a bad day. I mean, perfect. She's only a kid. I mean, you know, she's 20 years old. She's working this while she's doing college. I mean, you know, forget it. It's not a big deal, right? Yeah. You understand the difference where, where yeah, emotion yeah. tends to take over and you start saying, as long as she's trying hard and she's doing what she should be doing, by and large, you're all right. Now you come back to the what you do. Right now, the what you do, if you don't have that emotional how you do it kind of dimension to it, right? Now it's complex because there's rational in the how you do it, and there's emotional in the how you do it, and there's rational and there's emotional in the what you do as well, right? Now, for example, let's say you, you buy a bar of PNG um, soap, right, and uh, it promises you all kinds of emotional benefits. You're going to be looking really fantastic tomorrow, right, when you use that soap, and that's terrific. But the dancing doesn't clean. Right. Uh, so, you know, I mean, the rational benefit is not being served. So the emotional benefit may be terrific. But, you know, I'm not getting what I wanted out of soap, which is I want to get the dirt off. Right. And yeah. it's not doing that. So you know, you're probably going to you know, not look at that. But aside from those extreme examples. Right. Uh, if you think about let's take a, a hotel. Right. And you have a check in process, which you're used to because you just keep going to the Marriott and, you know, the Marriott's got a way of doing it. And you show them your card. You stand in a special queue and you get your upgrade. And, you know, it just goes that way. Right. And, you know, as, as long as they're not mechanical and they smile at you once in a while, you're perfectly happy with that. Right. Yeah. And rationally, it works for you. Right. And uh, you, you don't necessarily want to be their new best friend, do you? Right. I mean, if they do actually smile at you. That's fantastic. But you just got a flight. You've been flying for eight hours. You're bone tired. And, you know, you, you really don't want somebody who wants to be, your, you know, your, your friend at the reception. You just want, you know, can you get me to my room as quickly as possible? Right. Yeah. But that smile does make a difference. Right? Absolutely. And you say, you, you've had a rough flight. I mean, you know, welcome here, and it's really great to have you, and let me get to your room as quickly as possible. So the how you do it and what you do both matter, right? And I think the emotional bias in the how do you do it is slightly greater than the rational bias in what you do, right? Does, does that kind of make sense? No, of course. Yeah, and I've, I've heard in, in years and years ago that every decision that's made from a human being is emotional, but backed up by rationality. So every decision that's ever made is first emotional. So if you think about brands that are out there, what are they doing to tap into people's emotions, right? Like 
you know, Best Buy or, or Home Depot or Petco to tap into the emotion of a pet owner to bring your pets to Petco because that's where the pets go. They create an emotional attachment, but then you back it up with logic and reason to say, well, it's cheaper than PetSmart. It, they treat me nicer than PetSmart. Right. So what would you think in terms of how? So let me let me rephrase this, Ajay. When you work with companies that you work in their loyalty space and help them create loyalty, how much time is devoted to creating the emotional connection with their brand prior to the rationality of I'm going to get a discount or a better price or points off for something? How much do you think about that when you when you so, discuss? Uh, that? That's a difficult question. I don't know how to answer without being politically incorrect. So I'm going to go ahead and be politically incorrect. I hope to hope that's all right. right? I think uh, a lot of lazy marketing right, is around deals. right? And yeah. the first refuge of an incompetent marketer is to do a price off. right? Oh, they won't buy it at $100? Okay, let me give them $20 off. right? You know, maybe they'll yeah. buy anything. Oh, they didn't buy it at $80. Let's do a really wild marketing promotion and do it at $70. Right? I mean, that's marketing genius in a lot of people's minds. right? Um, but I think the companies which think about it very closely, right? I mean, like Apple, for example, and and no, they no discounts ever, no discounts ever. Don't ever. need it. Because no. there's always a reason to buy, which is you know ninety percent emotional because it's the kind of person I am. It makes a statement about who I am, right? So yep. you identify to the point that you made earlier, right? When there's this Android Apple divide, right? You identify yourself as being an Apple kind of person, right? And let's let's face it, right? Um, the why of the apple is very wrapped up in the why of the person, right? You believe yourself to be almost like a superior human being. You care about design. Now, I've, so I've, I've got a, a family which is completely apple crazy, right? I mean, they all have apples. And I, I have an apple phone, and I enjoy torturing my wife and children uh, by pointing out the design flaws, right? So I don't know if you've noticed this, but an iPhone has got a little moon, right? Uh, which becomes full or wanes, you know, according to, you know, whatever Apple has decided it's got to be according to. Right. Genius. Except it's got nothing to do with the time of the day. It's got nothing to do with the phase of the moon. It just tells it on its own trip. So you built the single genius, which would be so cool. But haven't you thrown Licky to the clock on your goddamn phone? I mean, what are you guys <laughs> thinking, right? I mean, so these little things like this, right? Where, where, where do you close the screen from? And in some Apple program, it's on the top right. Some it's on the top left. But it's not consistent. Mm. Whereas Android, it's consistently in the top right. Yeah, whenever you want to close the screen, you go to the top right. And you, you have that little cross. It's consistent, right? Yeah. So what is the design genius about not being consistent about where? Oh, but you know where it is if you use an Apple. Yes, of course you do. But it, I mean, it's not good design, right? But despite yeah. that, they've convinced. The world of this brother that they're fantastic at design, right? I mean, and, and just think about this. And, and they managed to convince people that even their clumsiness, which is we're not sure about what to do with that moon, or we're not entirely sure which side you should click to shut something. And you know, it really depends on the designer who did that. Uh -huh. right? Has become an asset. I mean, because people they don't forgive them. They say they've got a reason for doing it, which must be fantastic. They'll never admit an Apple user will never say it's just because they're incompetent. Right, they didn't get around <laughs> to think this through. Right, they never see it, That's and I probably get struck down by some kind of thunderbolt by this trillion-dollar, you know, valuation company. <laughs> this, but uh, have you noticed this? And when you start making excuses, right, when it becomes so wrapped up in yourself, right, 
um, you know, j just think about that a minute. And that's really where you want to be with the brand, right? Where people are now justifying to themselves why they identify themselves with your brand. Now, if you can make that happen, right? And there, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of um, behavioral economics which goes into it. And, you know, I mean, ever since Kahneman taught us about thinking fast and slow, I mean, and, you know, Taylor taught us about, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there about how you can nudge people into thinking and feeling the way you want them to think and feel, right? Yes. And the good brands spend a lot of time doing that, right? Starbucks is a brand that does exactly that. You are a Starbucks aficionado paying five, six dollars for a cup of coffee. And I don't drink coffee, you know, but I, I understand from a brand perspective how they've created a culture around what it is that they do. Their loyalty program, I think, has probably close to 20 million people in it that are earning reward points, but they're just, you know, they're uh, they're brand zealots. They just absolutely love Starbucks brand. And, and, you know, so that's the difference. I think some, you know, if it, on a very cold day, it's let's say minus 10 centigrade and people are going to have a regular cup of coffee, but they'd have to walk, you know, 10 meters for uh, a Starbucks or a hundred meters. How far would they walk? The brand loyalist will walk miles yeah. before drinking a regular coffee. You know, I must tell you about Starbucks. I did a loyalty program for them in the Bay Area. It was a um, you know, when I, I used to live in the Bay Area, and we did a really cool loyalty program for Starbucks. Uh, basically, you pre-bought 10 cups of coffee or 20 cups of coffee or whatever it was, right? I mean, you could buy as many as you want. And it would be programmed with your preference, right? So you buy a cup. Let's say you wanted a frappuccino with uh, extra chocolate sprinkles or whatever the heck it was that you wanted. That would be pre-programmed in your card, right? And all you had to do was you swipe the card when you walked in, right? And, um, you know, the the machine would let the person at the counter know this is what you wanted, right? And it would debit your card because you prepaid it, right? And I thought it was a brilliant program because, you know, I had a lot of trouble uh, with my accent and the Starbucks staff in the Bay Area at that time, their accents, we were, we couldn't understand each other, right? I thought <laughs> I was saying Americano really clearly and it, they didn't think so at all, right? I mean, I'm sorry. And, you know, it would be quite a challenge, right? So I thought this program was absolutely brilliant. Saying that, you know, you just take away the waiting. You don't have a waiting queue. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you swipe your card and you just go and you collect the coffee you want, right? Uh, and uh, they they bombed it, right? They ran it for a few months. I think we ran it for six months or something like that. And then they shut down the program. And then they relaunched the program. I mean, some years later, they relaunched the program that they now have, right? And that time, I was really quite annoyed with them, saying, look, you know, we gave them this genius program, right? And they, they killed it. Subsequently, I realized that, you know, there's a Starbucks experience. And whoever made that decision to kill that program was actually a lot smarter than I was. Because I think he or she understood that, you know, the Starbucks experience has got the waiting in the queue, the com little communication with the barista about, you know, how you want your coffee, you know, maybe that little smile. And they understood by converting, you know, card swipe experience. It wasn't Starbucks anymore, mm. right? Which I didn't understand. And I only that only sunk in, you know, maybe about ten years later when uh, you know they launched this program, the present the present program that they now have, and saying, okay, okay, now I get it, now I get it, now that's the reason why they because they had a good understanding of what makes their brand their brand, right? And which yeah, I mean, kind of insensitive to. 
you know, there's an old adage that uh, people go to restaurants where other people are. So if they see a crowd or a line at Starbucks, yeah. so I'll walk through the airport and they'll have, you know, a Starbucks there and there's a queue, you know, 20 people deep waiting for a Starbucks. And I think that's part of the allure. People want to uh, uh, exactly. be a part of that, right? That's that's part of it. It's, it's interesting. All right. So let me, I, I know we've been on for quite a while and I, I don't want to, you know, I, I, we usually try and keep it around 30 minutes. Um, let me ask you this, Ajay, what sort of actionable advice could you give to our listeners that they can employ today as a small to medium business size owner that would enhance and improve their loyalty programs? Okay, so I guess the first thing is to use the loyalty programs, right? Now, a lot of people see loyalty programs as a, a boat in the water, right? The tide goes up, the boat goes up, the tide comes down, the boat goes down, right? Um, as opposed to that, think of a loyalty program as being a dam, right, which controls the flow of the water, right? And okay. so what you really need to do is you need to figure out what are the actions I can take on my loyalty program, which have significant impact on the business by having a significant impact on my customer, right? So you think about it. Uh, I have a, I've got data thanks to my program, right? I've got transaction data. I've got profile data. You know, I've got some interaction data all related to a loyalty number. Let me look at that data and say, how would I use that um, to drive the business forward by driving the customer experience um, you know, into a better zone, right? So if you use me really, how can I get you to use me more frequently? Yes, sir. You have three programs. Test them. See which one works the best for you. And the one that works for the best for you uh, would be, yes, of course, you get a lot more business. And that's what we're here for. But also, they make the customer prefer you and want you to want to keep coming back to you, right? Yeah. So, so the first piece of advice would be, really, you've got an asset. Use it, right? A, a lot of people, and, and these include some of the largest companies, right? Uh, don't use the loyalty program except as a means of spamming their members, right? And uh, they'll, they'll just slam, you know, communication with the members saying, okay, you know, you're foolish enough to sign on to my loyalty program. You deserve all of what I'm going to send you. And uh, so I'm going to send you 10 messages a day and, you know, hopefully somebody will see something and do something. Yeah. And, and that's really lazy marketing as opposed to, you know, uh, I think a good question to ask yourself is I know why I want to talk to the member why does he want to hear from me on this subject at this time? Mm. And if you don't have a darn good reason, and the reason can't be, oh, because he loves my brand. You know, he signed on to me once and he loves me. No, 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 that's not a reason. There's going to be a strong reason why his life gets better as a result of that piece of communication which you give him at this time, or her life. A bit. Sorry, I don't mean to be sexist. I mean, you know, his, hers, whatever, right? Oh. No, I, I agree. I think you're spot on with that, Ajay. And in, in fact, it reminds me of a story. I went to Foxwoods with my wife and I, this is probably seven, eight years ago, and I went and played poker and she was playing slots. So we got back and three days later, maybe four days later, we got a piece of mail. I got one about other poker tournaments. They had the calendar on the back. She got one about slots promotions and stuff like that. So it was speaking to the people about what they wanted to hear. And I remember a, even 15, 20 years ago, people were talking about, well, if they're already a slots player, why would you promote slots to them? Why wouldn't you tell them that they can play crap so they can play roulette? If they're slots players, they want to play slots, right? Yeah. So speak to them the way they know. So like Starbucks, I think that was on the right idea with what you mentioned before, where if they know you like a chocolate latte with sprinkles, they should have a chocolate latte with sprinkles as number one on the list for you when you come in. They don't want to try and get you some peppermint thing that you're not going to like. 
right? So speaking to a consumer as to how they intended to be, you know, addressed and what they like is probably one of the strongest bits of advice. Yes. And I think that's really, um, that, that can make a huge difference. And, you know, if, you, if you're going to give them what they want and you do it well, uh, and, and they know that you're trying to be healthy, you're not just trying to sell them. Because I think all of them have got a bullshit filter and, you know, a, a sales filter. Yep. And I mean, we just shut up, don't we? Yep. Right. And Always. we're not paying attention anymore. So what you really want to, you want to move from that zone into saying, you know, when I hear from this guy, you know, he's talking to me about something I want to hear about. Yes, I'm going to give him money. That's fine. But he's going to get me the right poker game at the right time, right? Yep. And, that, exactly. and that's kind of cool. Yeah, very you know, cool. I guess that's really the single most important thing, which is use it effectively. It's a heck of an asset, right? But, you know, I mean, use it the way it should be used as an asset in order to get a disproportionate return on investment by adding some value to your customer's life so that, you know, he or she actually looks forward to hearing from you. Agreed. Yeah, I completely agree. Great stuff. Listen, Ajay, we could talk about this forever. I know. I know you could and I know I could. But uh, if listeners want to get a hold of you, what would be the best way they could do that? Well, uh, email, I guess, um, uh, ajayrow at uh, gmail.com, ajayrow at gmail.com, LinkedIn, or, um, you know, I mean, just ping me. I, I try and respond to everybody and I'm more than happy to share whatever little I've learned uh, you know, in any way I can. Little you've learned. 35 years you've learned more than most people will forget. That's that's great stuff. Again, I want to thank you for taking your time. I know it's late in the evening for you over there, but uh, I want to, again, I think our listeners really appreciate the value and the insights that you've given. Uh, to our listeners, if you think you've gained some value from listening to the show, please do share. That's how we grow. Uh, if you're listening to any of the other podcast streaming services through uh, Netflix, uh, uh, Spotify or Google or Apple, uh, please do give us a five-star review. That that helps out the show tremendously. To reference this and other Loyalty Minute episodes, please visit theloyaltyminute.com. Thanks again, AJ. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for your next edition of the Loyalty Minute.